0: everybody. Welcome to another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room and it's full-blown cricket at the moment. On Tuesday we spoke to CEO of the Titan Fall, and Tonight we speak to Andrew Bretzka, the CEO of the South African Cricketers Association. Andrew, Happy New Year. Good day to you and welcome to our show again.
1: Thanks a lot Louis and Happy New Year to you as well. Let's hope 2023 is a great cricket
0: year. Absolutely. Let's stroke it through the covers and get hundreds every week. Now let's have a look at, uh, I guess, well, it wasn't a quiet festive season for you because this massive tournament I did speak about it a couple of months ago on the, on the Boardroom to the Locker Room show. And it's here. We've had two games, and I guess a success so far?
1: Yeah, I was at the opening game at, at Newlands on, on Tuesday. And uh, I think one has to say it, it was very successful. A great crowd, a good atmosphere. Uh, good to have international players like Archer steaming in and Revis sort of adding the South African sort of icing on top of the cake with the great innings. So yeah, it, it's great to see these crowds at in Durban as well, and hopefully that continues. We, we need this to be supported, and I think the marketing behind it has been probably unprecedented in cricket in South Africa, if you just look at how much has been spent on that. But probably, Louis, the most interesting stroke, incredible thing is 12 months ago, this was an idea, and now we've already started this tournament on a massive scale. So 12 months ago, we've been chatting in I said to you, in 12 months' time, there'll be a game at Newlands opening a new T20 league owned by Indians in terms of IPL teams. We would have said that's not really possible, but it shows you how quickly the world of cricket is changing. That's what I think is probably the scary part. The pace of change in cricket in the world is making it very difficult to manage, and yeah, we have to have real clever thinking, clear thought, strategic planning around what it means for world cricket, not not just South Africa. But that's probably the most incredible thing, is that in 12 months, this has been put together to the spectacle that it is.
0: But Andrew, the thing that, and, and I don't want to put a damp on it, I really don't, because I do think it's fantastic. And, and I know, as we'll get through the, the course of our interview this, this evening, that uh, there's a couple of questions around it that I want to ask. But isn't it ironic that everything that you said is completely and absolutely true, and yet I know he has a big team behind him, but it has been spearheaded by Graham Smith, who, with respect, Cricket South Africa tried to kick to the curb a year ago. It's bizarre.
1: Yeah. I mean, Graham Smith was director of cricket for two years, and and I, I don't think two years is, is a long enough period for a director of cricket to actually get his or her teeth into the role. I see Enoch has been appointed for five years, which I think is much more realistic. So I think that's a, a valid point. And during Graham Smith's tenure of two years, he actually – was more of a sort of commercial manager. remember we didn't have a commercial manager at CSA so he was acting commercial manager at one stage and we had an acting CEO, we had an acting chief financial officer we had a, basically every position was acting so so CEOs transition over the last two years has been difficult because there's no permanent position. So if you're an acting CEO you, you're in a holding path you don't take off or land the plane you just effectively keep things going. So that hasn't been ideal. I think it it shows what can be done when you have a really just unbridled direction of what you need to achieve in terms of I've got to put in a T20 league, and I'd, I'm hoping that with the more permanent appointments in CSA we can have the same type of focus across finance, across commercial, etc. at Cricket South Africa because that's still the custodian of cricket in the country. And to be fair, there's some good people who've come in there uh, who are doing that, but you have to look at the last five years of cricket in South Africa and say, sadly, they've been misdirected and we've really gone nowhere because of the immense politics and infighting and faction fights. So, And at that very same time that that has been happening, the world of cricket has been changing at an amazing pace. So in the perfect world of cricket South Africa, this event should have happened four or five years ago. So that's a reality. We probably four or five years later than we should have been. So the Global League, the T20 Global League, was the right idea. It just was poorly executed and there was lots of politics around it. This entity, which is separate from Cricket South Africa, has been able to focus
0: on getting it done and they've got it done. So is it fair then for me, and if it's not fair, please tell me, to say that this is so far the success that it's been because there's been no political interference?
1: I don't think that's unfair. I think it's a a factor. I don't think it's a sort of the main factor, but it's a factor. You know, what you have with the SA20s, you have a private entity. So it's got shareholders, one of which is CSA as the majority shareholder. You've got Supersport on board and you've got Sundar Rahman as an individual who's on that, a shareholder on, on that entity. And it has a board of directors, some which are from Cricket South Africa, some are from Supersport, etc. And they have to put on an event and have a tournament that can generate revenue just like any other business. So it's very focused. Cricket South Africa challenges that it's the custodian of cricket and strategically looks after cricket for the whole country. It is a much more difficult mandate. One has to be fair to them in that sense. It's a much more difficult mandate to make sure, for example, that there's cricket in the Lumpur, and in et cetera, et cetera. So that's probably the major difference, is that it being privately owned, CSA being the shareholder, having one objective and a key focus, it shows you what can be done. And I think the lessons that can be learned from that. And... At the same time, one of SACA's concerns, very supportive of the league, is that the league must be successful because it needs to become an income-generator for cricket South Africa. That's a given. What happens income it generates is critically important to us. It needs to go back into
0: the domestic game to make the domestic game stronger. Otherwise, we have an imbalance in our system. So that was the next question I was going to ask you. You mentioned the Limpopos and those kind of areas. Will they benefit from this tournament outside of being able to watch it on television? They have to. Uh, I mean,
1: and it's more than that. So at our AGM in, in December, the players passed a resolution asking Saka to undertake a, a review of the domestic game. The reason being that the players have come to us and said, we really worried about the domestic game. We're worried about standards, not just cricketing standards, but how we schedule, how we play, how many games we're playing, our actual playing opportunities, et etc. et cetera. So we're undertaking that review in the next couple of months by engaging with players and coaches. It's about practice facilities. It's about how you get transported to matches. It's the professionalism around uh, do you have a team physio, etc. So it's a wide-ranging thing. So one of the challenges which has resulted in that request is that CSA are financially in a difficult position, and they've actually cut revenues to the provinces by 20% last year. So if you cut revenues to provinces, what suffers? That type of element suffers the support structure. So we need to make sure that what revenue gets generated and ends up ultimately it won't be immediate comes back to CSA actually gets plowed back into the game so that we have strong domestic cricket. Because if we don't have strong domestic cricket, we will have a weak proteus. And then it doesn't matter how great this T20 league is. If we don't have a strong proteus team that's able to generate good broadcast deals and sponsorship deals, cricket is in a really difficult place. And that's no different to any other big sport in South Africa, it's the same. The Springboks must have a strong Springbok rugby team, which they do have, because that in itself generates broadcast revenue, sponsorship, et cetera. So it's the same model. But we just need to be careful that this T20 event doesn't become the ultimate focus. It must become one of the revenue
0: streams for cricket South Africa, and cricket
1: South Africa must focus on making sure we have a strong proteas
0: team. Yeah, I fully agree there. And and, and the one thing that concerns me a little bit going forward, and I know it's a very difficult balancing act for cricket South Africa, and I'm always the first to admit that if I get a chance to knock them, I do. But in in the meantime, Mm -hmm. the difficulty of the balancing act of them making sure that everything is successful, as well as not diluting any of the three or even sometimes four formats of the game, must be extremely difficult for them. It is,
1: especially with the pace at which cricket is changing. So I'll I'll give you an example. I'll try and be brief. I was in Australia during the World Cup, and as part of FICA, we had our AGM, which is all the cricket associations. And what we do at our AGM is we get international speakers to come and speak to us. And and one of the individuals who came was the CEO of one of the big broadcast companies through the Sony-Disney partnership, who's got all the, the big rights from the ICC. And they do intensive studies of the market. And he said something interesting that landed with me. He said, you need to accept that a 15-year-old teenager, you take the age of 15, has grown up on T20 cricket in the same way that you, Andrew, grew up with Test cricket. So your passion for Test cricket is mirrored by that 15-year-old who's got a passion for T20 cricket. It's all they've really known. And in 10 years' time, that 15-year-old is 25. So they have seen a steady decline in viewership of Test cricket Over the last 10 years, and they've been studying it, like I say, very closely. Now, I don't like that because I'm a connoisseur of cricket. But it's a reality. So the money's going towards the T20 leagues, like we see with the SA20. So, what is the future of Test cricket is a massive debate on its own. You could have 10 programs on that. But you see it in the reality of that. Cricket South Africa's schedule for the protests for the next four years, we really only have two Test series because it's just not enough time to have three Test series. So, that's the challenge Cricket South Africa faces. If you speak to players, they all want to play Test cricket. They all still want to play Test cricket because it's the ultimate test of your skill. As a cricketer, So that hasn't changed. Yes, they all want to be able to make a really good living out of cricket, which they can now achieve without playing Test cricket. So that's the balancing act for the player. Well, Cricket South Africa, it's how do we make sure that our domestic four-day competition, first-class cricket is strong, be able to produce really great cricketers. So we have household names now who have yet to really play first-class cricket, and it's because of T20 cricket. So it is a difficult job and it, it takes a bit of the wisdom of Solomon to, to marry those so that we don't end up in five years' time just having three countries playing test cricket because if we're not careful we can we can end up going in that direction.
0: Yeah, I mentioned to Jacques Ford and I mean, this is a question I think that uh, you can answer really well by being the CEO of the South African Cricketers Association, looking after the players. I feel sorry for somebody like Dean Elgar, for example. I mean, the guy is captaining his country. He's got a contract with Cricket South Africa. Let's just, for argument's sake, say it's a 500 thousand grand contract a year and then you're going to have people turning around and saying but hold on a second the guy plays you know there's four test matches between now and the end of the year that's essentially 20 days of cricket i understand Mm -hmm. that there's training sessions and there's excuses to go and signing autographs and all those kind of things but ultimately the job that he's paid for is to play the game the poor guy's going to play 20 days at best crickets because he's not the the kind of uh one-day international cricketer who can bash it around. And he's not the guy that's on the top of the list of IPL teams to buy for uh, 500 million rand.
1: Yeah, the challenge becomes then you go to Australia and you play against guys who play significantly more first-class cricket than you. So it's like anything in life, you're the one who's going to struggle, not them. So that's where that balancing act becomes important. I mean, I do believe that, and I've said it to Cricket South Africa, there's an obligation on them to, despite the fact that we now have the FTP, the Future Tours Program, which has got limited test cricket, is what are you going to do to supplement that with first-class cricket? Maybe not test cricket, with first-class cricket. We have to do something like that because otherwise your pool of test cricketers relative to white ball, more specifically T20 cricket, is, is going to get smaller and smaller. And given that the revenue generated by test cricket will be less and less, the appeal of it becomes less and less. And Louis, it's, it's a bigger problem than just that. If you go got a schoolboy cricket now, more T20 crickets being played at schoolboy level. There's some schools, I think, that only play T20 cricket. Are so you breeding a generation of player who just plays T20 cricket? The top cricket schools still play a lot of declaration cricket, which is their form of long cricket, which is critical for that you're not teeing off in the first over like you would in the T20. You've got to breed that passion for actually sticking around and not scoring around against a really good bowler. So we talk about it at a test level because that's the, but it goes through the entire system. And again, where the rubber hits the road is at the first-class cricket at domestic level when, with some problems playing Berlin. We need to make sure that cricket is played at the highest level and is not just put aside somewhere in the season to get it done. It's got to be at the highest level. And by getting it to the highest level, you need your best players play. There's the other challenge. Because there's so much other cricket being played, you actually want your best players, your protests, to play that domestic game too because you want your newcomer who's just playing his first season to actually face Ngiri because there's an international bowler. That's part of the challenge as well. If you go back and you'll remember 10 years ago, Dale Steyn would be playing for the Titans, bowling against a young player at Western Province and maybe nipping off after the second over. And that's probably the best lesson that kid ever had. We need to have that again.
0: Yeah. The other thing that, and and you make a good point, although we are going to not disagree with you, is the the fact that the schools still play declaration cricket. We, in my era, a long time ago, we played declaration cricket, but half of us played like it was a T20 anyway. But at the end of the day, we didn't play three-day, four-day, five-day cricket, but yet we were still so engrossed in the game. The question I ask is, are the schools doing enough to teach the kids not just how to play the game, but the history of the game, because that will keep Test Cricket alive.
1: I can't speak for all schools. I'm actually, in my other part of my life, I've been very involved in schools here in Cape Town through governing bodies and that. So I'm quite involved in in schools here. And I can speak for schools in Cape Town and there are big cricket schools in Cape Town. I do believe that if you go to the top 20, 25 cricket schools, they are phenomenal. And when people tell me cricketing in South Africa is dying and it's not strong, I say, you know what? You can't say that because at schoolboy level, we still produce phenomenal cricketers. Yes, there's a question mark of how do they get into the system and move up through there. But one of the schools I work with here, they've got a professional coach. They have a coaching strategy session where Justin Kemp comes in and talks to them about game management around longer form, short form. What are you thinking? How are you placing your field? They get Gary Kirsten in to help them in all aspects of batting. So I think there's schools that do phenomenal work around the country to produce really good cricketers. What happens to them after that, I think, is is the challenge. Tom Moffat is the the CEO of FICA, spent a year here in our Cape Town office. And when I showed him these schools, he was absolutely blown away. He couldn't believe what our schools did with cricket and sport in general. But his point was, he says, Australia can't actually match this. But where Australia is phenomenal, is in the academy system after school. So their sport isn't strong at school like ours is, but it's phenomenally strong after school, which is effectively the pipeline that moves up. So I think schools are doing great work. I think the challenge for Cricket South Africa is how do you embrace those schools within your structure to assist with, for example, transformation and the pipeline? I think that's something Cricket South Africa has to look at because the schools are investing in cricket irrespective of what Cricket South Africa does. They don't invest in cricket because of cricket South Africa. It's because it's what the school is. I think rugby have probably been a bit more strategic around their schools than cricket has.
0: So I'm going to nip one back at you now. Australia, team have come back. Let's not knock them. But as the South African Cricketers Association, do you guys offer some of these poor shell-shocked young 20-year-olds who've gone to Australia? The media's ripped them apart. They've had no opportunity to prove themselves in another game because the next test match is come March, they might get dropped. Psychologically, some of these guys must be going to bed and having nightmares. How do you look after them?
1: Yeah, look, every player has access to extensive support through our network. One does need to remember that from a soccer perspective, we are always very cautious about not stepping into the field of play. That is the role of management and CSA. So we don't involve ourselves in, for example, issues around the game of cricket, because obviously we, we conflicted. I think that's an important boundary mark. We actually call it, we don't step across the boundary. So where a player takes a massive strain, be it through a difficult tour, we have, for example, board psychologists who assist players. And one of the great things about the modern era is players are much more inclined to, to take up that assistance. If you go back even five years ago, it was sort of, Oh no, I don't need that support. Players are much more willing to take that support. I think, you know, that if you you look at the South African team and the challenge cricket faces, they were players who've actually spent six, seven days at home since the beginning of June last year to the 5th of January this year, when they got back 8th of January, whatever it was. That's not conducive to producing great cricketers either, but it's the curse of the international structure of the game. So they went to England for quite a long time. They came back for five days. They went to India. For that series, they flew directly from India to Australia, which is not ideal. They crisscrossed Australia, which in itself is challenging. They came back for a week, then basically went back to Australia for the Test Series. And now they're back. And some of those guys are even now playing in the T20. Somewhere, players are going to break down. That's a concern for us and a, a support area for so You cannot carry on like that. Because technically, some of those players could play against the West Indies in March and then go after to the IPL and so the, the merry-go-round carries on that's not sustainable and so one of the we've said to cricket south africa they've got to sit down with players and properly plan the the next year the next two years where they are happy for the player to go and play the IPL, but where the player must rest etc cetera, etc cetera, because otherwise our system's going to crash just because players can't do it anymore
0: how do you tell somebody you have to sit out when the offer of 5.5 million rand for 30 days' work comes in. I mean, I don't know what Carl Verrani's earning, but the poor guy must have landed back in South Africa, got out of his Protea clothing into a uniform that didn't look like it quite fitted him properly last night, straight onto the field. I mean, I remember coming back from Australia. It's one of the most terrible jet lag situations ever. So how do you tell a guy like that you've got to rest for three weeks and lose out on massive amounts of income?
1: Well, so when I say you've got to plan that season, that's that has to be considered. So, for example, in our MOU agreement with the Cricket of South Africa, we have carved out the IPL. So the players have a guaranteed window of IPL cricket, okay? And, and CSA benefit from that, from the IPL. There's a payment that goes to CSA relative to how many players are there and what they earn. But that, for example, is because I was going to earn 12 million rand in the IPL. You're not going to tell him, don't go to the IPL. I mean, those are life-changing earnings. So so now, if you look at the calendar of cricket, the ICC, like I probably mentioned last time, have become their own event organisers. So there's an ICC event in November. There's the IPL. There's our SA20. So you have to carefully sit down and you need to decide whether the, the SA20 is important. It's the fact that a player can now earn significant sums millions-wise with his, for example, protest contract and his South African T Twenty contract. He can now earn that in South Africa. So in that sense it's a plus because it's part of the South African calendar so you can say to player listen you're earning this you're earning this you're earning this there's no need for you to go to the Caribbean Premier League and earn X because your earnings now with that rest period are almost guaranteed you know there's no need to go to the Caribbean Premier League because if you go there and you don't have the rest well maybe you won't be able to play the SA20 where you'll lose out there so that's when I say that planning with the player has become important go back five years ago you sign a proteo contract break, everyone's happy you're going to play this year for the Proteus. No questions asked. Very different ballgame now in the world of cricket. It's sit down, what does this mean to you? When are you going to play? When are we going to rest you? Because you can't play everything. So you, you can't play every T20 league and you can't play every international match either. So that takes planning and balancing. In the interest of South African cricket, and of
0: the player. So, how do you then choose your players going forward and put them in a squad of, I don't know, 15 or 20? They have a number that they'd contract to play red ball cricket. Do you then have a system where you choose 20 or 25 players to play white ball cricket, whether it be T20 or 50 over cricket, and separate the two? And do you think it's a good idea to have a coach of both? or one coach to coach both forms of the game? There's a lot there. The
1: starting point is, historically, there was one proteo contract, and you play all formats. You're available for all formats, but obviously certain players didn't get chosen for certain formats. We proposed, well, actually, beginning of last season to CSA, maybe it's time to start looking at format contracts. And this year, you know, we've already had discussions around having format contracts so were you saying to a player who, who might himself say listen i don't want to play test cricket anymore. i just want to play white ball cricket And you say okay that's fine or you say to a player listen we don't see you as part of the test team ever or yet or whatever we offering you a format contract or just a format contract limited to the protest that makes it easier to do that planning because then you can say okay if you're a white ball format contracted player this is our expectation of you this year now if a player turns around and says oh that's your expectation I'm not sure I can meet that expectation because I want to not that it would happen but for example I want to play the IPL the 100 the Caribbean the Pakistan the Bangladesh and then the SA20 except then you're never going to play for the the protest then maybe you can't contract that player that's what's happening in the world of cricket that's not a nice thing for me to say but that's a a reality it's already happened in other countries and the first country where that happened was actually the West Indies, where there were about five or six guys who then didn't really play for the West Indies because they just played leagues around the world. And that's the danger that the ICC needs to look at and say, this is not healthy for cricket in the world and where they should be, but are not the custodian of cricket, because that undermines international cricket, which still is the lifeblood
0: of the game. So it should be similar to FIFA then? where you have international weekends and the players are obliged to leave their clubs to go and play for their country.
1: Well, that's where we're getting to. So our current model in the world of cricket is a player gets contracted by his country or his province, but his country, and then he's released to go and play these leagues. So whenever a side player goes to the IPL or the 100, there's actually a release document that we've agreed with CSA, which basically says you're released from your contract to play this event. CSA reserves the right to call you back if there's an injury, for example. So there's a release. We are not slowly anymore, quite quickly moving to a point where you are centrally contracted by a team and then there's, you are going to be released to play your international cricket. You can already see it. So there's a there's a Mumbai Indians team in India. There's a Mumbai Cape Town. I'm pretty confident that at some stage there's going to be IPL Indian ownership in the 100 in England in the next two years. So when that happens, you might be a, a Mumbai London team, whatever. And what they will do is then contract a player across all three of those teams. They will play all three events there. And ultimately, they'll probably say, we'll pay you 20 million rand, whatever. And you're effectively contracted to to us for the year. Oh, and we'll release you to go and play for your country as per the ICC windows type of thing. We we might, well, not might, I think we probably will end up there. We'll have a soccer model. Uh, It doesn't change the fact that you still have to have domestic cricket in your country because there's still a pathway that a player has to travel to get into that league level, which is where it differs from, from the FIFA model. And that hasn't necessarily been thought out that well because you still need to sustain that domestic cricket financially because domestic cricket is expensive. So those are where the big question marks are. How do we get that right?
0: Yeah, and the thing is that much as you and I have spoken about it before, I guess at the end of the day, what you just mentioned is the ultimate demise really of the ICC and India will just control cricket around the world. Okay, let's talk to... Uh, very briefly, because our time is running out very quickly and you and I can always talk for hours and hours. But you must be, as I am, absolutely delighted after the poor performance by some of the players in Australia to see. And hopefully the selectors have been watching because there's the Donovan Ferreras, there's the Brevis, there's the Rickleton, and of course the usual suspect in Quentin de Kock, who so far have been the four outstanding stars along with Buffett, to see The outstanding stars of the competition so far, and we still haven't seen some of the other boys yet. Local ones, which is so great to see.
1: Yeah, we need local heroes. I think if you go back in the last twenty years of cricket in South Africa, you, you want local heroes because local heroes read followers. And and we went through a golden period with, with the likes of Cullis and Stain and, and Teeny and, and they pin up posters because they were achieving and, and that reads a cricket culture. I think sadly what's happened over the last few years One, because of Cricket South Africa's absolute dog show in terms of governance and that. And two, because of COVID, is we've lost out on creating heroes in our game. And that's sad. And I think we need that. And I'm hoping this event on those individuals. People didn't really know who Donovan Ferreira was. And then suddenly you say, who is this guy? He can really hit a ball out the park. And we create some heroes. We need that rugby's done it very well in the last couple of years there are a lot of rugby heroes everyone supports this player whether it's CEO whether it's Chesman etc we need to do that in cricket we lost that ability through through all sorts of circumstances so I think you're right I think the, the one challenge for us though Louis is that this event focuses on 60 South African cricketers effectively but we actually have you know 200 in the system so for the 140 who are not in this competition, the concern would be, sure, I don't want to be marginalised so much. So this event must be successful, but we need to make sure that our domestic game, for example, that if I'm playing incredibly well in the domestic T20 competition, I also want to be noticed. I also want to get a shot. So they're good players who are not in this event because when the team set up the structure of what they want, they don't actually see that player as part of their their makeup so that's from a soccer point of view we're looking out for every single player in the system that's where we want to focus and say well that's great we need these heroes it has gone very well it's great that those players have performed it's, it was Set up for for Devop to do well, and he did, and that's almost a, a organizer's dream. But the guys are not playing at the moment. He's saying, "Sure, I wish I was there." So the aspiration is good, but we still need to give them a platform. So that's where one's got to balance these these matters.
0: What is the plan then for the 140 cricketers? Too late for this year, but for when next year's tournament is on, will the, will the, the fixtures be slightly different in terms of the season doesn't end for 140 players for a month?
1: Yeah, there was there were. Look, I think what's been achieved in, like we said, the 12 months is incredible and the organizing has been phenomenal. What it has left behind is how do we manage the, other, the rest of the system around it? You know, and ideas that were floated that didn't materialize and probably because of, of time is to say, well, you know what? the teams like Namibia and Ireland around. Maybe it's a good time for us to, to blood other players against associate nations who are desperate for content, desperate to play so that they start playing some cricket during this period, not clashing with the T20, so that our players are playing. you know. And if that's sort of the the next best out there playing against Ireland in three ODIs or something, I don't know. But maybe we need to start thinking out the box because, like I say, cricket's changing so quickly. You can't think traditionally. You've got to start thinking out the box because players, one thing players say to us all the time is, I want opportunity. Let me play. I want opportunity. That's a strong message from us to CSA. We want our players to have opportunity. The worst so this, thing for I, a player the worst thing for a player is to end his career and say, I just didn't think I got the right opportunity. That's a massive negative if we get to that.
0: But Andrew, I mean, I'm not a genius, but let me ask you, why can we not have like we had on Tuesday where the Mumbai Indians opened the tournaments at Newlands? All the facilities and everything were there. I'm not expecting them to pay a reserve Mumbai Indian team anywhere near what the main team is doing, but contract 40 players and have two games on the same day. So what if only 3,000 people are in the stadium at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon? But it's cricket pitchers are, are good enough to play 90 overs in a day. We're talking about 80 overs. Have a, a reserve game, if you like, before the main game and those other 140 players we're talking about. Now only 40 of those players are not playing.
1: I don't dislike your idea relative to possibly other situations where you're playing T20 cricket, even internationals, but it won't happen in this T20 event because this SA20 is effectively an independent entity where there are franchise teams that are very protective over their turf. Be that, so you'll notice every stadium is a clean stadium. Um, there's no advertised South African local advertising. It's a clean stadium. So I don't think they would in any way dilute their team relative to another game being played at their stadium. Because effectively Newlands is Mumbai Cape Town Stadium. It would be their reserve team. I don't think they'd go there. But I don't think that's a bad idea relative to other matches where you're playing T20 matches against uh, even international T20 matches where we have... Because you can, you, you've got time in a day. But the hundred did well; is they played women's t20s before the men's t20s. That exactly. was well. That created a lot of hype around the women's game. So, you know, for example, for the women to play before the men in international t20s, I think is something that's going to have to be explored to get more interest and hype around the women's game. So, I think your ideas got legs. I just don't think it would have legs given how much is involved in this SA Twenty around. IP and team ownership and contracting. There's a lot there,
0: which you need to chat to Graham Smith about, not me. Uh, but, but yeah, so. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there, Graham. I'm available if you need <laughs> me. I know a good lawyer who's got some cricket interests as well, who I'm sure will back me. And uh, I'm sure there's no reason why we can't have two games at the hallowed grounds of Newlands with everything in place. All the spectators don't charge them anymore. The, uh, Coltrane sellers will make a few extra dollars. Everybody will will be happy. 140 (laughs) cricketers won't be sitting at home watching the cricket, wishing that they were playing in the atmosphere that they were. Andrew, at the end of the day, this tournament does benefit us going forward. I'm sure there will be good to come out of it. I hope it's far more positive than negative. So far, so good. It's been wonderful to watch and I'm sure the spectators are enjoying it. And as usual, thank you so much for joining us on the show and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Only a pleasure, Louis. Farewell. That's tonight's edition. of from the boardroom to the locker room. Andrew Bretzka, the CEO of Saka, as always open and honest with his views. As we are every single night, we're not scared to ask difficult questions and our guests are not scared to answer them. That is the show. Have a nice evening, and as always, be nice to each other. Bye-bye.